This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player. This is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all-time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another Mike Missanelli Podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers Podcast Episode Number 21, Monday, November 7th. Now, I am going to tell you that this is not going to be as joyous an episode as we've been um, we've been producing here. Uh, no postmortem ever is. But uh, let's get let's get real here. OK, this has been a great season, almost to a uh, to a wondrous season. The Phillies made a great run. It was an unexpected run. Nobody thought they would ever, ever be in the World Series. Nobody thought they were that certain that they'd be in the playoffs. So they got in the playoffs and they transformed into a fairly magical team that gave everybody a thrill, carried us for a really long time. And we haven't talked baseball into November in a really long time, and we were able to do it this year. The city was jacked. It was ignited. Um, Citizens Bank Ballpark was like a volcano. So all that stuff is good. And, And the reality is this. Houston was slightly a better team. They were a better hitting team, although in the series the Phillies didn't hit. But Houston's pitching flummoxed the Phillies hitters. Um, And listen, they're probably going to be back as contenders next year. We're going to paint a very rosy outlet at the after we we go through the agony of losing Game Six. The, The Phillies have their key players under contract. They have established themselves as a really good team now. They've gotten the confidence of being the world, in, in the World Series. They're, they're, they're going to take that in the next year and know that they're a good team. So with a couple tweaks here and there, they're going to be a contender. And, I, I you know, I, I don't know. Maybe they'll be the favorite going into next year in, in the National League. So let's let's take it back and then move forward here. Um, we're going to have uh, Scott Lauber on uh, the podcast a little bit later. He covered the entire series. He uh, covers the uh, beat for the Philadelphia Inquirer with the Phillies. And uh, we'll get his views on what happened and uh, what happens now in the future. So let's let's go to game six. Um, and there's obviously uh, a strategical discussion that we have to get into. And this is second guessing to the nth degree. But it's what we do here. It's what every sports fan should do. Sports fans second guess. My God, I made a career on second-guessing decisions that were made. So let's get into it. The big issue is, should Rob Thompson, manager of the Phillies, have left Zach Wheeler in the game in the sixth inning? Uh, he had 70 pitches at that time. He gave him a single up the middle, and they had runners at, at first and third. Now, his last pitch was a 96-mile-per-hour sinker that Jeremy Pena uh, hit for a single up the middle. And the question is now, do you push the automatic Rob Thompson button or do you try to think beyond the automatic Rob Thompson button? Because the Rob Thompson button is simply you bring in Alvarado to pitch the Alvarez. He's been doing it all series. But do you alter your thinking if your pitcher is not in immediate danger? And immediate danger in this case would be 
that he's losing velocity. He's losing a little steam. He looks like he's done. I didn't think Wheeler was done. Okay. Uh, but Rob Thompson trusted what he's been doing the whole time. I have a problem with that. A little bit of a problem with trusting the same thing that you do all the time because it gives me Jim Fergosi nightmares. But we'll talk about that in, in a little bit. So Alvarado comes in. And Thompson said, I just thought the matchup, Alvarado-Alvarez, was better than leaving Wheeler in the game. Uh, he faced him three times in the World Series in similar situations. He got two flyouts from Alvarez, and he hit him with a pitch. Now, Alvarez wasn't exactly cooking in this series. He wasn't the feared slugger that everybody thought he was in this World Series. Uh, but in this particular situation, oh, God, I can still see the pitch. It was a 99-mile-an-hour sinker that stayed in the middle of the plate, sort of. And he launched it, a cannon shot, over the, the ivy in center field, or whatever that wall is, into the stands. Nobody could ever recall anybody hitting a ball uh, to that. Uh, spot in Minute Maid Park. Um, so let's discuss. We have we have Darren, our producer here. Uh, so let's discuss whether a manager should stick with what he's done that's been successful, or maybe a, in a moment you can think outside the little box. What was the right thing to do in that situation, producer Darren? First of all, the problem with second guessing him here, and. We have to establish this. Second guessing what he did or did not do, rather, is exactly what got them there. It's why they were in the World Series because of every. I mean, the guy's been clairvoyant up through game three of the World Series. Every move he made was right. Now, at the time, I thought there's no way he's going to pull Wheeler here. Because like you said, he hadn't lost any velocity. In fact, it was back up to 98-99 from the previous two games, his previous two starts. He had his velocity back with that extra day of rest. He was, I believe he was under 70 pitches. I think he was at 68. He was at 70. He was right at 70? Okay. Yes. So I would not, I mean, that, I, I think everybody went, why are you doing this now? So to second guess him, though, is... I mean, that's what got him. That's why they were in the World Series. But that's not what got him. And here's what I'll explain. Second-guessing a guy for a move that wasn't necessary is appropriate. Now, uh, the, what he had done before was appropriate. He had made those moves when his uh, starting pitcher was running out of gas, and it was clearly the best thing he could do. In this situation... It was not clearly the best thing he could do. Whether he was successful doing it before is irrelevant. Was it the pertinent move to make now? Is the question. And I would not have. I would not have pulled Wheeler in that in that moment. Okay. Well, then it's a, then it's appropriate to second guess him. Yes, it's appropriate. You can do it now. They lost the World Series. Of course, we can. No, no, no. Forget to them losing the World Series at the time. At the time when you have to make the decision. I did. I was not as upset, though, as the non-moves in the lineup. Okay, well, we'll get to that in a second. All right, I'll stay, stay, stay. Hold on. Hold on to that thought. All right? At the time, I was upset he pulled Wheeler. So uh, so this is the, the, the question. Do, do you give him the slack because he had been successful in, in making those moves before? I always look at it like it's wonderful that you made those moves before. It's wonderful that they worked out, but sometimes the pushing the automatic button is not the right thing to do. And so that's where I come out on this. I'll tell you exactly what I said to myself. I'll tell you exactly what I said. Uh, all right. So then it's fair second guessing. Yeah. I said, don't do this, but I'll trust you here, Topper. I'll trust you, but I wouldn't do this. Exactly what I said. Yeah, but I, okay. But you see, that's blindness. I'll trust you. This blindness. If you're a fan, you're managing the game. Just because he did it before and was successful does not make him immune to making a bad move. I never said he was immune to making a bad move. I'm just saying at the time, okay. I was going to give gave him the benefit of the doubt. Okay. Here's the other thing. If you trust Wheeler at 70 pitches, 
maybe you get to the eighth, in which case then you can use the Alvarado move. You see what I'm saying? If you trust the, the strength that you have on the mound now, maybe it gets to the point where here comes Alvarez in the eighth, then he's gassed. Now you pull out the card. And, and that's what I thought his plan was going into the game. I really did. I didn't think he was going to go to Al- Alvarado at that point, regardless if Wheeler was dealing and he was dealing. And let's face it, Maldonado leans into that pitch, right? The next pitch is a C&I single up the middle. It's not like they were hitting him hard. He hadn't okay. gave up one hard hit. All right. All right. Now let's get to the other uh, question mark, which I had uh, on this very podcast prior to the game, the day before the game, when I talked about the lineup, I said, you now need to change your lineup. A, you change your lineup to give it fresh energy. B, you change it because it is necessary to change it because you don't have any protection behind Bryce Harper. And however you decide to change that, you must change it. Whether it's making Harper the two-hitter, which I suggested, or whether it's making Harper the three-hitter and having JT Real Muto behind him. Now, people will say, well, JT wasn't hitting either. But JT, at that point, is a better protectional threat than uh, uh, Castellanos. And, and, and the whole world could see that. All right. Now, the manager's thinking, these guys are comfortable in their own spots. Well, maybe they're not at that point. They are, at that point, stagnant. And when you're stagnant, a little change could be welcomed. It gives you fresh energy. So the one thing now that worries me about Rob Thompson is that he is too static when it comes to that. Yes, all the moves he made were great, but he has now established himself as a guy who is a little Fergosi-esque. All right? So so he didn't do it, and the lineup stayed as impotent as possible. Now, the converse of that is Houston's pitching makes you impotent. And maybe if you changed it, they'd still be impotent. But that's not really the, 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 the subject here. The subject is, does your lineup need some fresh energy, even though it's late in the series and even though it's a, a, a game six? To me, that's it. It's a game six. You don't have tomorrow. So are you you measuring up? My, am I going to hurt these guys by changing the lineup? Or they, No, I'm not going to hurt them. I can only help them. Maybe it won't help. But a change can only refresh in something. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. That's the only thing I, I had a problem with. It. Well, two things I had, obviously, the Wheeler thing. But the lineup, we had talked about that before. You you could not. The way Reese Hoskins is swinging the two-hole, you could not have him in the two-hole. And, and you can't have Castellanos behind Harper. And you don't get Harper up in the first inning if, if, if you don't get a hit. So I, I just don't understand that kind of thinking. I think sometimes as a manager, you can get trapped by, by your own, I don't know, your own things, these, these, these old school things that are in your head. Don't mess around because the players like the comfortability. Not in game six when you have to win it. I think you're, be, you're also skipping over the fact that they were no hit two games prior. Not only were they, sta- you say stagnant, that's a bit of an understatement when there were no hit 48 hours earlier. All right. So I, I totally agree. I would have flopped JT and, and uh, I would have had JT back up. Harper, I would have put Harper in a two hole and I would have bounced everybody back. Yeah. Again, people are saying, oh, Mike, stop complaining. This is a wonderful year. Stop complaining. I, I get it. I'm not saying it wasn't a wonderful year, but I'm just examining uh, the, the moment of the series. And, uh, you know, maybe they don't win the series anyway. They can get to a game seven. Maybe they don't win it. But I, you just gotta you gotta manage at, at the time you need to manage. And I just didn't think he did that in game six. Let, let's look at the at the bats being silent. The top five hitters in this lineup, including Harper. Now I, I'm not going to criticize Harper uh, because he had some obviously golden moments uh, in postseason. Top five hitters in the lineup in the World Series with 19 for 113. That's 168, the top five of the hitters. They had five home runs and 46 strikeouts in the series. They struck out 81 times in the postseason. Um, in the uh, no-hit, uh, they got no-hit in game four, and then in game five, they squandered a ton of runs in scoring position in both game five and game six. 
Uh, and in, in game six, Framber Valdez had him so messed up that they took fastball strikes in the middle of the zone. They they were overthinking it, thinking, okay, he's going to throw a sinker here, he's going to be down here, he's going to be changing up here, and, and they took and they got they got locked up, and they took some middle strikes in game six, which is a, a, an offense that that's really struggling and doesn't believe in themselves. You can take strikes down the middle, you're really you're guessing, and that doesn't mean you're that means you're not confident uh, as a hitter. So so there it is. The Phillies lose in in six games in the World Series. It was great, and uh, I saw the video of uh, the people who greeted them when they came back on, on the charter flight uh, last night. And it was cool because uh, they stuck around. They, uh, the, they signed some autographs after the game. They, they sat around just like the, the 93 Phillies used to do. They, they sat around and had some beers together and talked the game. And that's all cool. And the young guys, Marsh and Stott, stared at that celebration as if to say, you know what, we're going to get there. And I want to see what this is like. And they watched it. And I thought that was a, a good idea. So um, let's look now at what's ahead for the Phillies. Um, they uh, can make a couple moves here uh, to improve themselves. And, the, of course, the, the question is, uh, the Hoskin question is going to come up. But let's first take the Segura-Gregorius question. Gregorius's money at 14 mil combined with Segura's $17 million option, they can buy him out for a million dollars. I don't think there is any question that the right move is to buy him out. Now, if it doesn't work out and you want to re-sign him, you could do that. You're going to get him at a lot less money than 17 mil if uh, people aren't going to knock down his door, which I don't think they are. I think he showed signs of slowing down. I think he showed signs... Uh, of not getting that, that hard hit ball rate that that he had had consistently, he he didn't barrel up a lot of balls. Maybe it's age, whatever it is. You don't pay that guy seventeen million because if you do, he becomes the third highest paid second baseman in the league. And I'm not going to do that. I'm just sorry. He he's not the he shouldn't be the third highest paid second baseman in the league. Uh, I forget who the uh, Marcus Simeon's one of them, and uh, I forget who the other second baseman is. It makes more, uh, but uh, so so let's just take that uh, off off the books. That's thirty one mil now, and you're gonna have some extra guy uh, like you know I, I, they're gonna have some guys they can also lop off. Um, and of course the the big uh, question is, would they be able and would they be willing to sign one of the four premier shortstops? that are out there right now. Um, I think that's the best solution. Now, I, I can't spend John Middleton's money, but I'm moving Bryson Stott to second base because I don't think he is a uh, full-time everyday shortstop. I think he's better utilized as a second baseman for various reasons. I think his range is okay. I think his arm is okay. I don't think it's superior in either area. Nice player. I think he's going to be a pretty good hitter in this league. But uh, I would love to have him as a second baseman and take either Trey Turner who Harper wants, uh, uh, Carlos Correa, who would be a superstar here, uh, Xander Bogarts from the Red Sox, and, uh, of course, Dansby Swanson uh, of the Braves, who would give you uh, a lot of stabilities. So the nine regulars are under control and three starting pitchers. Uh, could they get a fourth and fifth starter? They need one. There are some, um, some belief that Andrew Painter – uh, can come up and be part of that staff next year. At that young age, he's 19, going to be 20 by next year. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know if I could count on that yet. So I, I may go out and get a, a fourth starter. Uh, they also need a couple bullpen guys. They got a couple reliable guys. Alvarado is going to come back as reliable. Dominguez is going to come back as reliable. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do with Robertson. Uh, but they need to get a couple other guys in there. I guess Brogdon earned a little bit of his stripes. I still don't trust him a lot, uh, you know. But the other guys like Nick Nelson and uh, you know guys like Coonrod and and guys like that, I don't have a lot of belief in. So they're going to have to be in the market for a couple of relief pitchers to improve that situation. All right, now let's look at the Reese Hoskins situation. I know people want to get rid of him. Uh, he's probably the, the least liked player. Uh, on the Phillies team this year, right? Uh, struck out a lot, made a couple muff plays 
in, in the postseason, the first base, doesn't seem to have great hands, can't catch the ball a lot of the times. People are frustrated with him. Um, could you trade him for a fourth starter? You probably could. Would you trade him for a fourth starter? Here's the here's the give and, and gab for that. Reese Hoskins hit 30 home runs. Okay? 30 home runs is 30 home runs. And he hit a couple of home, key home runs in the postseason. Who are you going to get to hit 30 home runs? Please don't give me move Bohm to first base and get another third baseman. That's a harder thing. All right? Bohm has established himself now as a third baseman. He improved immeasurably. I like his athletic ability. He moves well. He's got good flexibility at that position. Don't touch him at third base. Your solutions are keep Hoskins, who, by the way, will be arbitration eligible and does not become a free agent until 2024. Next year, in an arbitration year, he will make an estimated $13 million. He's the 30-home run guy. You're paying $13 million. Here are the free agent first basemen that you could replace him with. And you tell me if any of these float your boat. First of all, Rizzo is out there, but the Yankees are determined to re-sign him. So just take him off the market. Do you want Eric Hosmer? By the way, most of these guys are deep into their 30s. Hosmer being one of them. Rizzo makes $23 million. He'll get, a, he'll, get a, uh, he'll get that from the Yankees. They'll pay that. Josh Bell, switch hitter. He's going to make a projected $18.4 million next year as a power hitting first baseman. Just as bad a fielder as Reese Hoskins. You're going to get 30 home runs off of Josh Bell. So you make your lineup better because he's a switch hitter, a little more versatility. That's up to you. Trey Mancini. You saw what he did in postseason. He's 30, younger. He's projected to make $18 million. You want to roll with Trey Mancini? Can he give you what Hoskins gave you? Yeah, I guess. You know, in a good year, he's a 30-home run guy. He can't catch the ball either. Miguel Sano. That's an interesting under-the-radar name. He was a masher for the Minnesota Twins at one point. Last year, he was all banged up and injured. He only made 14 starts. He's 29 years old. He played 20 games last year. And he hit 083. All banged up, hurt. 162 home runs in his career. 30 or more in two of the last three years. Miguel Sano would not cost you $15 million. So, Darren, I'll throw it to you. The Hoskins problem, the shortstop free agency situation, Boehm, Segura, how you feeling? First of all, I would bet one of my balls that they're going to sign Turner. Segura's gone. Didi's money's off the books. That's $30 million. Harper's been <laughs> talking to the, Harper's been in Middleton's ear for Turner for a year now. So I'm, I'm almost positive they're going to sign Turner or go after Turner, make a big offer to him. That would be my solution for the middle of the infield. If you can get Rizzo, I want Mike Rizzo. He's a gold glove first baseman. Over the course of the season, he's going to give you about the same offensive numbers as Hoskins. He's not going to get hot like Hoskins, but he's not going to get cold like Hoskins. Out and he's a like I said, he's a Gold Glove first baseman. Take him tomorrow if you can pry him away from the Yankees tomorrow. After that, and no, this is really going to hurt me to say this because I have I've killed him since he's been here. I. I think you stick with uh, with Reese for another year if you can't get Rizzo. Uh, it, it's just he's you, but you got to move him down in the lineup. He can't be in second anymore. It doesn't make any sense. Move him down to five. Uh, that's what I would do if you're going to keep him. Okay. Uh, now let's talk about the Harper problem. Uh, I have always believed someone who's had some arm surgeries and I've talked to some doctors. I have always believed that Bryce Harper needs Tommy John surgery. Now as an outfielder, it's rare that you're going to get Tommy John surgery when the DH is around, but I don't believe that his uh, elbow is going to be fixed unless he has that, which means to me, they'll probably do uh, a more simple procedure on him, and he still won't be able to play the outfield on a full-time basis. Can he play it part-time? Maybe. I think that the Phillies are hoping that maybe he can play it part-time. I'm not even sure he could do that. 
So it leaves you kind of the same pro- – even if Castellanos <laughs> turned into a, a defensive wizard out of the blue and made those sliding catches, I, I don't think you can count on that for next year. So uh, you would like to have a more button-down outfield. Uh, you're not going to have it Harper full-time. You're probably not going to have it part-time. But they would never risk Tommy John surgery because that would put him out for the entire season. And next year, if you're planning to win something, you got to at least have him hit as a DH. So uh, it's not a major problem as long as his uh, bat is still in the lineup. But it's not a small problem either because they got away with playing Castellanos all year in right field. And I think there's a there's a shelf life, a definite shelf life on that as you go forward. So uh, when you when you look at this lineup. Obviously, they're okay at catcher. First base is in in flux right now. Second base is in flux. Shortstop, not in flux. They can replace or have stop play shortstop if they uh, intend to keep Segura. And then Bohm, I think the worries are over for Bohm playing that position. Now, they hit a lot of home runs ever, but I think you're okay with Bohm playing third base. You go to left field, Schwarber, obviously, you would have liked to not have played him uh, as many games in left field and, and and had a little bit of variety, and that's where Harper comes in. Center field, you're you're good with Marsh, and hopefully he can hit left-handers next year so you don't have to platoon. Uh, I, I, di- I didn't like the idea of the platoon in a game six, and that's another thing. When we look at the Thompson, he, he pushes the automatic button. Okay, I've done this, but I, I don't take Stott out of a lineup in game six, and I probably don't take Marsh out of the lineup in a game six. So, again, just because you do it all the time doesn't mean you have to do it in a game that you must win. But they're okay with center field, and, and Veerling can, can play there a little bit, and then you've got the right field situation. Even though that's Sosa? I, well, even though that's Sosa, I, I, that's out in a lot of ball. That's out at Citizens Bank. It doesn't matter. I don't care if it was out. I'm talking about the mindset going into a game. I don't put Stott on the bench. He's been he's been a glue guy for you, so I don't platoon with journeyman players in Game Six of a World Series. I just don't do that. I agree with you. I'm just playing devil's advocate. I wouldn't I wouldn't have bet Scott either. Well, don't play devil's advocate. You agree? You're, you agree with me? You're playing devil's advocate. That's my job. <laughs> it's not your job. <laughs> All right, your starters for next year. Obviously, Wheeler's back. Obviously, Noel's back. I was the Ranger. Suarez made some great strides. You need a fourth and a fifth. I think Eflin wants to get out of here. Uh, Eflin, uh, I don't know if the Phillies consider him a starter, whether he can ever have the stamina to be a starter. He doesn't want to be in the bullpen. I heard an interview with him that said he definitely sees himself as a starting pitcher in the big league. So uh, they're going to have to deal with that situation. Uh, other than that, um, the little tidbits that I saw from the World Series that were interesting, I've already told you how I uh, how I dislike uh, the the – post P game in the post game and that crew's got to change next year. All right. Cause uh, I've had, I think the Smoltz uh, is good, but he needs to, I think the producers need to pare him down a little bit. Uh, one other thing that's interesting to me, I, I heard all, all the uh, Astros being interviewed after the game. Uh, and uh, I heard Presley say, that boy, it's just like you know when you're playing ball in, in your backyard and you're dreaming of you know winning a World Series. And I and I started to think, I go, who the hell plays ball in their backyard anymore? No, nobody playing ball in the backyard. I I mean I'm a hundred years old. I didn't even play ball in my backyard. You know what I did in my backyard? My father ordered me to rake leaves. That's what he did in the backyard. You're playing baseball in the backyard. Besides that, who's playing baseball anywhere anyway? Uh, unless in this day and age, it's travel teams and it's being coached in, 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 the, in the, 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 the municipal programs and all that. Nobody's playing in the backyard anymore. Can we stop with that? It just feels like in your backyard where you're throwing that's the last, last pitch in the World Series. In my town alone, just in my town, there's about 12 to 15 diamonds to play on. Every there's six elementary schools, two middle schools. I'm not even making this up. I'm not even exaggerating. Every one of them is a diamond. There's a municipal complex that has six or seven there, other diamonds. Exactly. There are programs in these suburban yeah. areas anymore. Nobody's playing in their backyard. Can we stop that? This guy, Brian Presley's like 30 years old. Where was he playing in his backyard? He was in the travel league since he's been 12. That's true. Right? And they went in the backyard. He's hitting the game-winning shot in their backyard. Who's got a basketball hoop in their backyard? 
Uh, I, I have one in my front yard. <laughs> well, you got one of those things in the, that you put the water in, you put it on the street probably, right? No, no, man. Mine's concrete in, adjustable rim. I got the goods out there. Yeah? yeah. Really? Let me tell you about a story of me. I was a precocious basketball player, Darren. You don't know this about me. I know this about you. I used to play in your front yard in Strathmere with you back in the day. <laughs> uh, okay, I was precocious. Right. At, age, at age 14, I scored 43 points at the Sunny Hill basketball camp in a game. At age 14, against a healthy contingent of brothers. In fact, there might have been 10% white people in that whole camp. I won the shooting trophy. Sonny Hill gave it to me at age 14. That's, that's a solid resume, bullet point. I like that. Overwhelming choice. But my point about this is my father did put a basket in my backyard. My grandfather was a stonemason, and he supervised the project, digging the holes. My father got a... A hangover basket welded at the corner welding shop. Put it in concrete, the whole bit. There was only one problem. What? You know what the problem was? So you played on grass, on dirt? He wouldn't put down asphalt. (laughs) I played on grass, which meant I could shoot the the eyes off it, but the handle (laughs) suffered. I built mine out front. I put the concrete in myself. Put the pole in. I went, wait, I went the further, I went as far as you can go. I filled the pole up with concrete, capped it off. That's good work by you. All right. Uh, yeah. I, I, I was eight. I couldn't do that at the time. Uh, all right. But I'm just, just to tell you that I, I shot about 200 jumpers a day, an hour. I go up to that camp against the brothers and score 43. It's the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, let's uh, let's get even deeper with our analysis of the uh, World Series and this season, and uh, what lies ahead for the Philadelphia Phillies with the man who covers the Phils for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And uh, it's been a very busy fall, unlike other falls. For our next guest, he is Scott Lauber. Scott, how are we feeling today? Good, Mike. Doing well. Uh, all right, so. Um, after all this success, it, 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 it the reality hits in, in Game Six, and, and there are a couple talking points to talk about. But first of all, your your view of the overall season and this unexpected run, and I guess it's even a guy who covered the team has had to shock you more than most fans that that they ended up in a World Series and and took it to Game Six. What what are, what are your final analysis and feelings? Yeah, I mean, look, it did. It it was a surprise. Um, I, I kind of felt like, and I think I think you and I talked on the day of Game One in St. Louis, and you asked me, you know, what are we going to be talking about on Monday? Are we going to be talking about the Eagles or the Phillies? And you know, they were they were an inning away, really an inning away from uh, I think not not really uh, uh, going on this run. I mean, they were trailing two nothing in that first game. They scored six runs in the ninth in St. Louis, and off they went. So really, um, you know, it was an unexpected run. And a lot of, I think, what we're going to be talking about in the aftermath might be colored a little bit by that run and how good it felt. Uh, Watching Philadelphia become kind of a baseball town again for at least a month. Um, And then, you know, some of that will wear off, I think. And we'll talk about, you know, sort of get back down to brass tacks and talk about what this team needs to do to, to, to get back to this spot again next year. Uh, but certainly, you know, if you want to start with the postseason run, um, it was it was unexpected. It was uh, pretty wild. And uh, I kind of felt like they were, you know, I sort of felt like they were a team that was built for the postseason. Like if they could get in, you know, the 162 was the tough part for them because uh, they've never had a real deep roster. Um, they've They've been a team that's been built on stars and if you can get into the postseason, that's the kind of a team that can advance deep because stars can shine in the postseason. You can rely on, you know, two or three starters at the top of your rotation and get you through a series. And that's very much what they did. So they were built for the postseason. They got there and they made some noise, quite a bit of noise. And um, I think it's a run we'll be talking about for a while because of how unexpected it was and, and just kind of how it made everybody feel. Yeah, listen, it was a great season. They made a great run. And the reality is that Houston's pitching um, was just a little too much for them. And and they'll probably be back in the hunt for this next year. But as a Philly fan or as a kind of like grizzly Philadelphia media veteran, it's really tough to be Pollyanna when there is a circumstance to discuss (laughs) in in losing that game six. Now, I don't know if they would have won game seven. 
But let's talk about the circumstance. Actually, two circumstances. We'll take the, the biggest one first. And, of course, it's the sixth inning, first and third. Wheeler has 70 pitches. And uh, uh, and I hate to do this because it sounds like I'm criticizing him. But my nickname for Rob Thompson sometimes is Automatic Rob. And he, the, he pushes the automatic button, which had been successful for him in the past. Maybe not under these circumstances, though. What did you think of the move? He brings Alvarado in to pitch against Alvarez. So the only person in the world who could verify what I'm about to tell you is David Murphy, my colleague from the Inquirer. So you can ask him when you have a chance. But when they made that move, I looked at him. He was sitting to my right, and I said, I, I don't like this move. Um, I, I, I understand that this is what they've done throughout the playoffs. They've gone to Alvarado early, especially in the World Series. They wanted Alvarado on Alvarez. It happened in the fifth inning in game one. It happened in the fifth inning, I think, in game four. It happened in the sixth inning in game five, way earlier than normal. But given the way Wheeler was pitching, you know, 70 pitches, last pitch was 97. It was a roller up the middle. If they're playing in a different, it, a little bit differently, that's a double play ball. I felt like Wheeler uh, not only deserved to stay in that game, but should have stayed in that game. And... You know, look, you said automatic Rob, right? I, I think that this is something that's happening throughout baseball. It's not just Rob Thompson and it's not just the Phillies. Managers and coaches and teams get together and when they plan these things out, they plan out how they're going to manage a game at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They script it out. And the script said, going into this series, we're going to be aggressive with our bullpen. We're going to use Alvarado and Alvarez early and, and in the first high leverage situation we get. And that's all well and good. It looks great on paper. It sounds great at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But when Zach Wheeler's cruising, as he was in that game, you know, he's pitching the game of his life, quite frankly. I mean, none of us knew what to expect from him in Game 6. I'm not sure he knew what to expect from game from himself in Game 6. But the velocity was there. He held it throughout. The Astros weren't doing anything against him. He deserved a chance to, to lose that game. And if you lose with Zach Wheeler on the mound... If you're Rob Thompson, you know, I think you can walk into the interview room afterwards and when they question you about why you left Zach Wheeler in, all you have to say is he's my best pitcher. And I lost with my best pitcher on the mound. And, you know, honestly, that's that's what I wanted to see happen. That's what I thought should have happened. It didn't. He's not the only manager who makes that move. I'll bet you 28 or 29 out of 30 managers probably make that same move uh, in the postseason. They don't do it during the season. I don't understand why why it changes necessarily just because it's the playoffs. That's what they do. It's what they did. And not for nothing. And from what I was told, this was mentioned on the broadcast as well. I think Smoltz brought this up. Alvarado had faced Alvarez three times earlier in the series. And it's a short series. You're going to face the guy a fourth time. You know, I know Alvarez wasn't having a good series. But, you know, I mean, your, your odds of getting him out a fourth time are probably not great. So... I wanted to see Wheeler stay there. Fly out, fly out, hit by pitch uh, yeah, right. in those three. Uh, so, so uh, uh, li listen, I hear what you're saying, and in most cases I agree with it. But I'm the guy in that 3 o'clock meeting. I'm like Peter Brand in, in Moneyball. I, I, I got a seat, and I, and I throw this in. Well, yeah, that works if Wheeler is uh, losing steam. <laughs> you know, pour me a glass of water here. Let's, let's talk about that because if he's not losing steam, Maybe we don't do that, and maybe in the eighth inning we get a chance to use Alvarado against uh, Alvarez. I, I this is the the automatic conversation. Okay, if this happens, we're going to do this. But there's got to be an unless in there, doesn't there? Yes, absolutely. And you know the other side of this that we're not talking about because it never got there. If you use Alvarado there, who's coming in to face Alvar? Uh, you know who's coming in to face him the next time. Alvarez the next time. Is it going to be Suarez? Because if it is, you know, that's your game seven starter right there. And uh, maybe what ends up happening is you use nine pitchers in, in, you know, in, in game seven to get through that. I know you've got to get to game seven first and winning game six was the only thing on their minds, but there is a consequence. Even if, even if Alvarado gets him out there, there is a consequence. You do still have, you know, what were there like 11 outs left to get in that game? Yes. You still have to get through the rest of the game, and you have to do it without Alvarado. I, I agree, and, and that's why I think it's short-sighted because you're looking at that one moment, but the one moment doesn't trump the fact that, the, he A, that he still looks good, and B, you can still use uh, Alvarado. And I, I can't imagine that 
anybody in that dugout, especially the pitching coaches, they have about seven of them, would say, hey, he still looks good, Skip. You would think. You would think somebody would, would have that opinion, um, except, like I said, the script in the afternoon is to do this. And I'll be honest, you know, so Zach Wheeler, um, after the game, was clearly not thrilled <laughs> at the fact that he got taken out of that game. He said, uh, I believe, three times that it caught him off guard. Uh, I asked him if he thought about maybe debating Thompson right there on the mound and saying, like, sorry, I'm, I still have something left. Let me in. He said, I was kind of too caught off guard to even think about it in that moment to think, like, you know, what am I going to do here? Um, Real Muto said that there were lightning bolts coming out of his hands. That's how well he was throwing. You know, it was as close to a um, to to a to a second guess of the manager as as he was going to get um, after the game. But clearly, there were people on the field, you know, players on the field who thought like Wheeler was dealing. And you know, what are we doing, taking him out of this game? So, I mean, I I do think that there was a. Uh, it certainly went through the minds of some people on the field. Like, are we doing the right thing here? But look, they made the decision and, you know, there were other guys too, like, you know, Kyle Schwarber and Reese Hoskins who said, no, I wasn't surprised to see him go to Alvarado there because it's what he's done all postseason long. And it's almost like it was almost like a reflex, you know, like I'd heard, you know, they announced, you know, I I looked out to the bullpen and they made the announcement that Alvarado was warming up. I think when Maldonado was up, Maldonado got hit by that, leaned into that pitch and got hit by that pitch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And my reflex was, oh, okay, I guess he's getting him up for, for Alvarez. Like, he's, he's getting him ready for Alvarez. And it didn't even occur to me until he comes out to make the move, and I looked to my right, and I said to Dave Murphy, I don't like this move, that, like, this wasn't the right thing to do, or this wasn't the smartest thing to do. It was, okay, he's getting him up for Alvarez because it's what he's done the whole entire series, and it's it's what their script says that they that they should. Yeah, uh, and, and you know, Wheeler being caught off guard is, is another word for I think he's a little – He's a little passive, and he's not the type of pitcher who's going to argue with his manager that he wants to stay in. You know, be some fiery guy. Uh, maybe Real Muto could have pulled that off. But uh, all right, so so the move is made. Now that that was the the second thing we did a podcast before the day before the game, and I said he he needs to change his lineup a bit. He can't continue to have Castellanos behind Harper. Now, now however he does that is fine. I. I, I suggested that maybe Harper in the two hole and get, you get Hoskins out of that two hole and you have JT behind Harper in, in either case, whether, whether Harper's going to hit three, whether he's going to hit two, uh, and JT's the next hitter. Uh, again, a little inflexibility. And I know guy, you know, he makes the point that guys are comfortable knowing their place and knowing their uh, spot in the batting order and, and this and that. But, you know, at that point, the offense is stagnant. You got one game to win or else. And I don't like what would be he possibly be afraid of to just make a little bit of a tweak in the lineup? Is he going to hurt people's feelings? Like what? What's the what's his rationale for that? I just think in that case you just have to know Rob Thompson, right? I mean, like I think consistency is his thing, and and even keel and and not not um, projecting any sort of panic. It's kind of his. It's kind of his personality. It's sort of how it is. Like. I didn't make a huge deal about the fact that they didn't shuffle the lineup for game six because, quite frankly, I didn't think there was any chance that he was going to shuffle the lineup. I mean, he didn't move Schwarber out of the leadoff spot this summer when Harper was out and everyone was saying you need a guy in the middle of the order who can who can really mash. He, you know, he hasn't – I believe I believe the top six in the order were the same from game one of the wild card series through game six of the uh, – of the um, – of the world series. The bigger thing to me, honestly, was not, not having Stott in the lineup in game six, not having Marsh in the lineup in game six. And that's something too, that like, look, Thompson has, has liked his right-handed lineup and his left-handed lineup against lefties. He likes Sosa and Veerling. I, I personally think Stott and Marsh are better hitters against righties or lefties. And I would have had them in the lineup in game six. That to me was a bigger deal than why didn't he, shuffle up the top the top six guys in the lineup. I just it's not what he does. And and I, I don't think it's a question of being afraid. I don't I know it's not a question of him hurting anyone's feelings. I just think he he doesn't like the way it looks. He doesn't like the message it might send. Uh he he wanted to just sort of stay the course there and believe in, the, in those guys that they were gonna that they were gonna hit. And yeah. you know I look I, I thought JT Real Muto gave a really honest answer when he was asked, you know, was it scored three runs in the last three games. 
was that you guys or was that the Astros pitching? And he said, I think it was a little of both. He said, I think we came out of our approach a little bit. We struck out way too much. They set a World Series record for strikeouts. But the Astros pitching is world class. I mean, that that ro- that rotation in that bullpen is terrific. And uh, what do they say? Like, great pitching beats great hitting, you know? So, I mean, I, I think that held up in this case. Yeah, I agree with you on, on Stott and Marsh. I, I, to me... <laughs> If you like stability, that that's your most stable lineup. I I, I don't start. Listen, I, I like Sosa. I mean, I don't start a journeyman in a in a must win game in, in game six. So that's the only thing I, I saw there. All right, let, let's look ahead. We're talking to Scott Lauber from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Just covered a series of a fantastic job in this long run. I'm telling you, what do you, what do you and the season extends out this long. It is tough on a writer. <laughs> There's no question with all these stories that you have to uh, produce. Uh, so uh, let's look at, at what what's next uh, for the Phillies, and we'll, we'll start a, a little at a time. Now, um, to me, the, the the fundamental change here would be stop moves to second. They sign Turner, and uh, they save them the money on Segura, seventeen million, and they get the Gregorius money off the books, and they've got the money to sign Turner and make Stott a second baseman. Because I'm not sure he's a an everyday shortstop. Uh, maybe I'm wrong on that. Um, so let's take that first. Is that something you think is the favorite in the clubhouse to do? Uh, I, I think so. The only reason I hesitate is that, you know, Trey Turner is going to be a nine year deal, eight year deal, something like that. So you're getting involved with a, a another player in a long-term situation. It's going to be a big number. I don't know if it's going to be 30 million a year or if it's going to, it's going to be right around there. So that's the only reason I hesitate. Like the fit is obvious. Um, you know, he's he's a terrific player uh, at a position where they can certainly use uh, an upgrade. Like you said, you can move Stott over to second base. I happen to think Stott's a really good second baseman. You know, for a guy who came up as a shortstop, always played short. I thought when he played second this summer when Segura was out, I thought he did a really nice job there. I think he's going to be a really, really good player and a good piece for this team for a long time. He may end up even being their leadoff hitter before all is said and done because his, his approach at the plate is that good. Um, but yeah, if you can move him to second, sign a Trey Turner or even a Dansby Swanson, Xander Bogarts is going to opt out of his contract. I think he did so uh, uh, as we sit here today. I think he did so on Monday morning. Uh, Carlos Correa is going to opt out. It's going to be another star-studded shortstop market. So yeah, I, I would absolutely get involved in that if I were the Phillies. I would see if there's something you can make happen there. But like I said, the only thing that gives me pause is like Harper's got, you know, nine more years or whatever it is. And, you know, Schwarber's got three more at a big number and Castellanos is four more at a big number. And JT's got four, three or four more at a big. So you've got a lot of long term, medium term commitments. Um, you may want to look into potentially thinking about extending Aaron Nola this offseason. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, um, but, you know, he's got an option. They'll pick that up. Um you know, so you might have to, you're going to have to rebuild your bullpen again. You do have other other needs, but yeah, I would I would say for sure that they'll be involved in the shortstop market, and you know uh, they'll look to see if they can make something happen there, whether it's with Turner or with one of the other guys. And if they don't, and I guess that's the shortstop they signed Segura at, a, at a, a lower price. I mean, that that's always a possibility. But here's the other big one, and it's the first base. He's the least popular player with the fan base right now, and that's unfortunate, Reese Hoskins, because. He obviously he. I don't think people really take inventory that he's a thirty home run guy. He hit thirty last year. That's that's not easy to replace, and it's kind of necessary. Um, I, I guess they could trade him for a pitcher. They they need a fourth starter. Need a little depth in in the pitching rotation. Um, he's on the books. It looks like he's projected to make at least thirteen million next year, and he's a free agent twenty twenty four. Would they bite the bullet and keep him for one more year, or would they look to move him because that's also altered by the free agent first baseman that they can get? And I have a list here that's not that impressive. So, no. what do you see is going to happen there with uh, with Hoskins? I think both things can be true. I think they'll look to move him, and I think they will they they will potentially bite the bullet and keep him. Um, you know, I think they'll look to move him because, as you said, like he has shortcomings, right? Obviously, his defense is a shortcoming, and uh, he has shortcomings at the plate where he is maddeningly streaky, right? Like he can carry you for a week, and then he can not get a hit for the next two weeks. And uh, I know that drives fans crazy, but at the end of the day, Mike, you're right. You look up, and he's got somewhere between 20, 25 and thirty home runs every year. 
you know, he's OPSing, you know, in the 800s every single year. In a good year, he's OPSing 900. Those are tough numbers to replace. And I think what they're going to do um, is they probably go out there and they probably explore, you know, what the trade value is for Reese Hoskins. Like, what can you bring back? Can you bring back a, you know, number two quality starter uh, to go behind Zach Wheeler and, and go with Aaron Nola? Can you get that for Reese Hoskins? If you can't, he's he's worth more to you to keep him than he is to trade him away. Like, they're not going to trade him for, you know, they're not going to trade him for some, like, mid-range or back-end starting pitcher. They're not going to trade him for a lesser hitter, surely. So, you know, they may very well go out there, explore the market a little bit, see what's going on, and then decide, you know what, this guy's too valuable to us based on what we can get for him to trade him. So I, if I were betting, that's what I bet happens. All right, uh, Scott. Let's let's talk about uh, Harper now because, uh, and this has been you know swept under the carpet all year. But when we're talking about a UCL injury, uh, the first thing that comes up is Tommy John surgery. Now, r- rarely will outfielders do that because that wipes out their whole season. So they probably won't do this with Bryce Harper. What kind of pr- procedure can he get that would enable him to play? Uh, and maybe even not as a full-time right fielder throwing. I, I don't know if, if whatever they do with him, he's still going to be able to play right field. So what's the situation there as you see it? So it, it wouldn't be unheard of, right, for a non-pitcher to have Tommy John surgery. It's happened plenty of times before, and typically the recovery time, not nearly as long as it takes for a pitcher. So if Bryce Harper were to have Tommy John surgery, he's not missing a year. He's, he's missing maybe half that time. Uh, and maybe even less than that. Um, maybe he comes back and he can hit, and then he just, you know, he doesn't play defense until June or July. So I do think it's possible that that that's, that that's a road they go down. There are other things you can do, and, I mean, I'm sure that um, I'm sure that they're discussing it, but there are other types of surgeries. Like, to my – I'm not like – you know, I haven't asked any doctors about this yet. I'm sure I will, but I think Reese Hoskins had something two years ago with the elbow, it was not Tommy John surgery, but it was, um, you know, it was a surgery and it did take, you know, you remember he came back and I don't, he didn't miss any time. He was ready for spring training. Of course, you know, the season ended a month earlier, uh, two years ago when he had it done. So, I mean, now we're into November and, and if Harper has anything, um, done, you know, you're gonna have to factor in that that's one month less recovery time. Cause they went, they went deep in the playoffs. So, um, you know, I'm sure that they're going to have some some verdict on this very soon because there's just not a whole lot of time to waste. So if he's going to need something, look, I, I mean, I'm sure that there are going to be people out there who recommend to him to just rest it throughout the offseason. But like what happens if you rest it throughout the offseason and then you pick up a ball in late January, early February, and it still hurts? Now you need to have surgery and you're out. Now you're out really for most of the year. So, you know, I think if there's any any concern that, you know, he might need it. He's probably going to have it earlier or sooner than later and get it done so that if he misses any time, it would be minimal at the beginning of the year, at least at least as a hitter. And then he can return as a, as a defender later in the year. But if he gets something done, he's definitely going to miss time other than rest. You would think. I mean, everyone – so everyone heals differently. But I, I, I was looking today at Shoei Otani had Tommy John surgery in 2018. He had it done at the beginning of October. I think he was back at the beginning of May. Now there were there were considerations there. I'm sure as like as a hitter, he was back in May. It took him longer to come back as a pitcher, and I'm sure there were considerations there for him because he is also a pitcher, and his recovery probably took that into account. Like I'm not sure Harper. I'm not sure it's quite that long for Harper, but that's that's one one potential timetable to look at is. Otani, the hitter, um, came back on May first, so or somewhere around there. So, okay, all right. Well, that's more encouraging than, than I thought. Uh, all right. So, uh, your final thoughts in this season now, as as they go into next year, have they established themselves maybe as the favorite in the National League last year? Uh, this year, uh, coming up, uh, considering what they did, I don't. No, not not the whole National League. Like, no. I mean, the Dodgers are going to be the favorite again. Okay, um, and and they should be uh, because look at their roster. You know, uh, they have, you know, uh, even if they lose Trey Turner, and that would be a huge loss. They're going to have to replace him if they lose him. But you know, I think the Dodgers are probably the favorite again. I I, I do wonder, and I, I sort of said this jokingly during the playoff run. Like, 
would the Phillies be the first team to win the pennant and get picked to finish third in their division the following year? Because, <laughs> you know, the Braves aren't going away. Like, the, the Braves yeah, are stacked. I guess not. And the, the Mets have a lot of work to do. They have a lot of free agents. But they also have a ton of money. And so you know that they're going to figure out a way to spend Steve Cohen's $300 million in a way that's going to make them a talented team. So I don't know. I mean, look, they, they play in a really tough division. I, I would think, look, if I were sitting here, we're sitting here on November 7th, I still think the Braves are the team to beat in the National League East. And maybe the Phillies are, are you know, are, you know, uh, a notch above the Mets right now. We'll see what the Mets end up doing. But yeah, like, I think they're in the mix for sure. But, you know, um, as I said at the top, like, the 162 is the tough part for the Phillies. Like, that's the tough part to get through. And, you know, they're going to have to figure out a way to make their roster even stronger, even deeper, uh, even more talented so that it doesn't come down to game 160 next year to get in. Uh, they're in the mix. Obviously, they're a very talented team, and they're not going to take anybody by surprise anymore uh, if they did, uh, you know, at any point this year. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're right there. But I think the Braves are still the team to beat in the National League East. How about the Padres if they trade for Otani? Uh, yeah, certainly. And they have the GM who's aggressive enough to – to, to do it. AJ Preller, you know, is going to do something this offseason to catch everyone's. So yeah, if you're going to put Otani with Machado and Soto. Not bad. I think people will take notice of that. Yeah, that's not bad. Scott, listen, man, uh, we really appreciate the, the, the time you took to be on the, on the podcast. And uh, now you get a, a little bit of a chance to rest, but it's only a hundred days till spring training starts. That's what I heard. That's what somebody counted. I was like, don't, you know, don't, don't, that, that doesn't sound like a lot of time to me. <laughs> yeah. So Go on a quick vacation and get right back at it. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. We appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks anytime, guys. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All righty. Thanks to Scott Lauber of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Did a great job covering the Phillies this year. And, uh, you know, <laughs> tell you something. You, when you cover a season this long and uh, you, that many assignments that you have to pull off, it's draining. Uh, trust me. But thanks to Scott for joining us. And thanks to everybody who listened to the podcast with the final analysis of your Philadelphia Phillies. You feel good and, and you feel a little hurt. So uh, I understand that feeling. And now you move on to the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles and hopefully the Sixers uh, now can give you a season. It's not going to happen like immediately. And maybe by the middle of the year, uh, we'll have a, a Sixers excitement uh, and anticipate uh, a long playoff run for them. Uh, I love for people to get in touch with me and you can get in touch with me very easily through email at Mike at Mike com, And we'll read some of your great emails from time to time on this show. Again, it's Mike at Mike com. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Mike miss two five. Uh, of course I'll have a story a little later on why I changed that to Mike miss two five. A lot of people have asked me and I said at the time that, uh, I was, um, I was honoring Ben Simmons by doing that. And that kind of was a lie. It was the 25 was just the number I thought of. But I I was actually ordered to change my Twitter handle by the company that I previously worked for. And we're going to have a whole podcast dedicated to that in the future on uh, why that happened at that station and why I'm, I'm uh, pleasantly doing this podcast uh, these days. Also... You can check out my book. Uh, I got a couple of book signings coming up in the Delaware Valley for my book, my children's book called The Adventures of Shima the Sheba based on my dog who's sitting here in my, my little broadcasting office that I created looking out the window. Um, it's a children's book. It's great for kids just learning how to read or great for a parent to sit down and, and read themselves, uh, uh, read to the children about my crazy dog and, and her quirky habits. And again, I'm going to make that a series where I'm going to take her all around the world. And uh, so we're going to have a lot of volumes of the adventures of Shima the Sheba. Check it out. You can get it on, on BarnesNoble.com. You can get it on Amazon.com. You can get it on AuthorHouse.com. Wherever you get your books, uh, order one, the hardcover or softcover. And again, look for uh, announcements of the book signings I'm going to be having uh, at the Barnes & Nobles around uh, the area. Um, and uh, what else do we have? Um, I guess that's about it. Is that all we got today? Yeah, I, I guess that's it. Well, it's, we've had a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's been a lot. It's been a lot of fun today, this podcast. Uh, oh, coming up later this week, we're going to have a monumental podcast. 
probably on Thursday. One-on-one with the great Angelo Catelli, my former colleague back at WIP, who is now going to be moving on, like we all sometimes move on. And uh, Angelo and I share a great history in this business, in newspapers and radio. Uh, and we're going to talk about how that happened with all of us going to radio and uh, the origins of the great sports debate and uh, uh, all these uh, all these uh, inside radio stories uh, that we will have. So stay tuned for that. That's coming up uh, on Thursday, a little later in the week. So uh, everybody have a great rest of the day. It is beautiful out here on a Monday. I think I'm going to go ahead and hit some tennis balls. Darren, what are you doing? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and get nine holes in this afternoon if I can. Oh, uh, okay. I'm going to try. Yeah. Yeah, I played Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. All right, buddy. Have a great rest of the day. Uh, I'm Mike Miss, and I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.